Somalia is on the brink of famine, although many experts would argue that millions of Somalis are already living in famine-like conditions. Across Somalia, thousands are dying and at least one million have been displaced due to its worst drought in decades. By the end of this year, the country will have gone through five consecutive failed rainy seasons, which means that for over two years now, people have not been able to plant or harvest any crops and millions of livestock, which countless Somalis rely on for survival, have died. Their images the world has become numb to, but for these communities, their suffering is unbearable. Journalist Sally Hayden reports for the Irish Times from across Africa. In April this year, she travelled to Somalia to witness firsthand the impact of this prolonged drought. What she saw were thousands of displaced people in desperate need of food and families who will do anything to feed their children. I didn't meet anybody who had received food from an international organisation, apart from if their child had been, you know, officially declared as malnourished. And actually what I heard was that people were actually starving their children to make them meet the requirement. When you measure their risk, you know, it needs to be a certain size for them to be declared malnourished. That was like this very difficult choice that, that parents were making to go, if I can just get my child, you know, their wrist like that tiny bit tinier, then I can try and help all my children who are constantly crying because they don't have food. And the situation is only getting worse, as Quiva Debara, chief executive of Trokra, explains. The UN has said that between October and December, areas in Somalia will experience famine. The number of children who are needing treatment for malnutrition and are presenting at Trokra's clinics has tripled over the last six months. This is an indication that famine is approaching. The UN estimates that 1.5 million children will be malnourished by October. And as October quickly approaches, will we, in the world's rich Western nations, finally turn our attention towards what is happening in the Horn of Africa? This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Sarah Chapollock. Today, how the drought in Somalia has become one of the worst humanitarian crises on Earth. Sally, you travelled to Somalia last April to report on the severe drought the country was struggling through at that point. What was the situation like in Somalia back in the spring? I mean, the situation was already pretty devastating. At that time, I went to camps for displaced people and there were hundreds of people arriving every day, basically, who had just come looking for aid. They were desperate for food, desperate for water and... A lot of them had been pastoralists, so they had been living with livestock, you know, making a living off livestock, but the livestock had all died. So they had essentially had their livelihoods wiped out and, you know, had nothing. Um, A lot of them also told stories about how family members had died on the way there. And those deaths, from my knowledge anyway, weren't being recorded because they were saying that they had buried people on the side of the road, basically, as they traveled. And... Yeah, it was it was hard to verify those, but I heard from quite a few people that they, that 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 had happened. You know, people had just died from starvation or died from thirst. Sally, you've reported on the migrant crisis from northern Africa and from across the Mediterranean and Europe. But what was it like being in a place when you're so face to face with destitution, starvation, malnutrition—these absolutely unimaginable things? 
I mean, Somalia is kind of a strange situation because I'm sure a lot of people know that Al-Shabaab, um, the Islamic militant group, control large swaths of territory. And there's various other reasons why there's a lot of insecurity. So if you're a foreigner, particularly, you tend to be in quite guarded places. You're not, you know, the places you can go are quite limited. And for that reason, like the aid uh, organizations are all kind of bunched in particular towns or cities and you you basically don't know what's happening away from those places so it was very strange the feeling that what could be developing in a broader sense across the country could be much much worse you know because we were actually in the place where the aid agencies were operating and the situation there was so bad but it's not safe for a lot of their staff to travel, and that includes Somali staff, to, to travel across the country. Um, you know, they'd be at risk of kidnapping and and other kinds of retaliation. And yeah, that that's very strange. Like that's, that, that makes you understand, it's important to understand basically that we're not getting the full story of what is happening at the moment because there are large parts of territory that that aren't actually being accessed or that people are escaping from and they tell you, but you know, they also don't have an overview of, of the whole country. There's nobody with an overview of the entire country. Mm. You wrote in April that four consecutive seasons of drought have ended what you've mentioned, pastoralism, which is the nomadic way of life, which has sustained Somalis for centuries. Sally, can you explain what is pastoralism and why is it now gone? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's completely gone, but basically pastoralism is living off your animals. So um, in Somalia, like in Kenya, like in Ethiopia, which neighbor uh, Somalia, you have kind of a lot of people that live off animals. And in Somalia, I interviewed actually a lot of women who were known as camel herders, you know, so they live off their camels, they milk the camels, they offer visitors camel milk, you know, they'll have other animals as well, they'll sell them when they want to make some money, or they might like eat them if they need meat. And they are very proud, you know, they've always managed to survive like this, this is their, just their way of life. And the problem is what happens when the animals die, which is happening more and more now because of the climate situation, then they don't know another way of being. So I was interviewing women who were in their 60s, for example, who were saying, you know, we don't, we don't have other skills, we don't know other things that we can do, like the only way that we can survive is if you give us animals. And if there's places that they can graze and there's water that they can drink and once that that graze you know that areas that they can graze are gone or that water is gone then they lose their livelihood so um it's really desperate because for them they were saying you know the younger people they could probably learn a skill they can learn farming or mm -hmm. you know find out how to do something else but for the older people that's they've always managed to survive like that like a lot of them would say they had never had this problem before the unprecedented failure of four consecutive rainy seasons, decades of conflict, mass displacement, severe economic issues are pushing many people to that, the brink of famine. 
Sally, there have been warnings for months now about the catastrophic food insecurity in Somalia with hundreds of thousands of people facing potential famine. Last month, the Norwegian Refugee Council sounded the alarm that one million people had been displaced by the ongoing drought. And then last week, the UN's emergency relief coordinator, Martin Griffiths, said it was, quote, the last minute of the 11th hour to save the lives of millions of people. I've been shocked to my core these past few days by the level of pain and suffering we see so many Somalis enduring. Famine is at the door and today we are receiving a final warning. Sally, how did we reach this point? There have been famine warnings throughout the summer months but it feels like most of the international community just didn't pay attention. Yeah, I mean, it's a very unfortunate thing that um, because a lot of this is also down to them not being able to collect the data. Like I said, we have problems because Al-Shabaab is controlling areas. A lot of areas are unsafe to travel around. And famine is like a very technical classification. So uh, you can't just say there's a famine. The way it works at the moment is that three criteria need to be met. Those are at least 20% of households in a given area need to face an extreme lack of food. Um, More than 30% of children under five are acutely malnourished and at least two out of every 10,000 need to be dying daily from hunger-related causes. And those, um, basically, you you need to satisfy those data to be able to say something is a famine. And because of that, Um, And particularly, I mean, I've been speaking to officials who will speak kind of, you know, on a a more private level, but they say particularly it's trying to prove that two people out of 10,000 are dying daily. That's the one that tends to be very difficult to prove. And like I said, I mean, I heard many accounts of people who had died, but those deaths weren't being recorded. So it's very likely, and Martin Griffiths actually said this when he gave the press conference, it's likely that the criteria is currently being met, but that data doesn't exist. So we can't prove that that criteria is being met. And because of that, I mean, I know that a lot of aid agencies and Somalis, you know, a lot of people got very frustrated with this idea that it's like the boy who cried wolf a little bit. You constantly hear that famine might occur, famine might occur, and it's kind of becomes, well, is it a famine or isn't it, you know? And and for that reason, then people kind of don't give their all if they're not being told this is a famine. And actually, by the time that a famine is declared, it's generally too late to save large Mm. numbers of people. That's what people say about the famine that happened in 2011, where a quarter of a million people died. The analysis that has been undertaken confirms that a state of famine exists in parts of Bakol and lower Shabali regions of southern Somalia. The rest of southern Somalia... One of the issues there was that the famine declaration comes too late. And actually, a famine declaration is something people celebrate because that's when the funding floods in, you know. Mm -hmm. So as soon as a famine is declared, there will be a big response. That money will be sent. and, And, you know, a lot of things will get in motion to try and help people. Coming up, how African nations like Somalia have ended up paying such a high human price for the Western world's carbon emissions. So Sally, I just want to ask about this drought that has been plaguing Somalia for a while now. 
why is it so bad? I mean, what are the factors that would have led to this situation? And quite simply, why is the climate so harsh in that part of the world? I mean, Somalia, it's been assessed as one of the most vulnerable countries in the world to climate change. And everybody I speak to says that this is a climate change related drought. So Somalia has suffered droughts before, you know, and and even in the years between the last famine and now there have been droughts, but they seem to be getting worse, more frequent and longer as well. And um, even people who say, you know, that other situations may be overly linked to climate change, they will say that this is certainly linked to climate change. So it's not the only factor that means that there's not enough food, but it is a big factor. Um, There has been kind of more recurrent droughts. There isn't a time anymore for people to recover from a period of drought. You know, they don't have the time to build back up their lives between them anymore. Um, And now we're looking at it potential failed uh, fifth rainy season in a row, possibly a sixth one as well, some projections are saying. So yeah, that's completely devastating. Mm -hmm. You mentioned how difficult it is to gather data in Somalia, but do we have a rough estimate of how many people in the country are currently affected by this food insecurity? Yeah, the projections are saying that seven, more than seven million people are in need of food aid, I believe. And yeah, I think it's 213,000 right now, they're saying, are in kind of famine-like levels of food insecurity. This also isn't happening just in Somalia. I mean, 22 million people are at risk of starvation across the Horn of Africa, while millions of children are acutely malnourished. Can you tell me a bit, Sally, about what the situation is like in neighboring countries? Yeah, sure. I mean, in Kenya, I think it's more than 4 million now are in need of food aid in the north. And in Ethiopia, Ethiopia is obviously currently experiencing a war as well in the north. So Mm. it's the south-southeast that is suffering from the drought. But then there's other issues in the north that mean that there are people who are going hungry there as well. And it's also quite strange in ways because actually I was in Kenya for the election and the election took place on 9th of August. And I didn't really hear the drought discussed, you know, maybe as an afterthought, but in the capital in Nairobi, it's not something that's really on the forefront of people's minds. And that is also quite shocking as well, because it seems like extreme numbers of people are in need. So yeah, I think I think it's important to say as well that There are, in all these countries, there are wealthy people, you know, there are Mm -hmm. places that have food, the food exists, like in Mogadishu, there's a lot of rich people. It's not like the whole country is impoverished, it's the the most vulnerable people who are vulnerable to climate change and vulnerable to drought and end up going hungry and suffering. Women walk sometimes for days at a time with their young children to reach the town while their husbands stay at home to protect their home and to protect any livestock that they may have left. I met Norto Abshiro, a mother of five. Her eldest child is a girl of 10 and her youngest is a baby of one and a half. Every day she gets up and she leaves the informal camp, walks to town to try and earn money to buy food. She said to me that four days out of seven, she doesn't manage to earn any money and she comes home with no food and her family goes hungry. Unfortunately, this is a very, very common story. We've already discussed how the UN has stopped short of actually calling this emergency in Somalia a famine. So 
what will it take for this situation to reach famine status, Sally? Well, I know that they're doing, uh, or I believe anyway, they're doing another assessment of the data that's available next month. And so potentially they would call it a famine then. Um, In the meantime, I mean, I think that that word famine, it's just, it's kind of a technicality. Like the situation is basically a famine. That's what the people that I speak to who are on the ground say. It's just meeting these requirements that, like I said, are very difficult to meet, particularly in a country like Somalia, which has so much insecurity and, you know, conflict is ongoing as well. And the conflict is exacerbated by the lack of resources. Like, so mm-hmm. people that I spoke to who were displaced, they said Al-Shabaab, for example, started taking control of the water points and of the grazing areas. You know, once once uh, the drought escalated, Al-Shabaab will start controlling the areas that um, people could have used to feed their livestock from and that can then lead to conflict as well. So there's kind of, you know, it's interlinked. It's not it's not um, totally separate as to insecurity and drought. So analysts say that these consecutive failed rainy seasons in Somalia and the drought and the hunger which has followed is largely the result of climate change. In this part of the world, in Ireland, our latest climate change wake-up call came in the form of the heat waves in Europe this summer. But we Westerners are far more insulated against the most immediate implications of climate change than people are in countries like Somalia, Ethiopia and Kenya, which are all experiencing drought and hunger right now. Or, for instance, the millions of Pakistanis whose lives are right now being destroyed by the devastating floods across their country. Why do you think, Sally, are these more immediate and far more catastrophic climate emergencies still so far off people's radars in countries like Ireland? I mean, I definitely think the heat waves made more people aware of it. Certainly, um, the UK hitting above 40 degrees, that seemed to shock a lot of people for a while. But like everything, it's unless you see it yourself, you can end up just not taking something as seriously. And I mean, even for me in Somalia, when I was there in in April, I was quite shocked by seeing people who were just arriving with absolutely nothing, you know, who would say it is this drought that's displaced me. And the displaced people's camps where I was had tens of thousands of people and more were arriving constantly. And unless, I guess, unless you've seen that and you've spoken to those people, it can be hard to kind of grapple with. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that everybody's not paying attention, especially uh, like the floods in Pakistan as well. I think that's been shocking for a lot of people. But yeah, it's hard to bring it home. It's also worth mentioning that poor countries like Somalia produce far fewer carbon emissions than much smaller but richer countries like Ireland. And yet they're the ones paying the price for our wealthier and far more comfortable lifestyle, right? Yeah, I mean, and the stats that I found um, were from 2018. That was the last year that I could find these statistics for. But Somalia has more than three times the population of Ireland, I believe. And in 2018, Ireland produced nearly 54 times more emissions. And that was an improvement on 2006, where the stats that I found were that Ireland produced more than 82 times more emissions than Somalia. So that gives mm-hmm. you some indication of the, the vast difference there. Our biggest challenge is funding. 
the scale of the needs here are enormous, but at the same time as people's needs increasing, the cost of responding is increasing. For example, it would have cost 50 euros six months ago for us to buy a box of therapeutic food to treat a severely malnourished child. That same box now costs $95. We simply don't have enough money to respond to the needs that are facing us. And I wanted to ask about international aid. I mean, firstly, do you think countries will send more money to Somalia when the war in Ukraine and the energy crisis are front and central here in the West? And even if they do donate money, is that really enough when these droughts keep reoccurring? I mean, at the end of the day, aren't the long-term effects of the climate disaster the real culprit right here? Yeah, I mean, I think Ireland, I don't know the exact statistics, but I think they have announced more money now, at least for Kenya, for the drought in Kenya and potentially also Somalia. Um, definitely if there's a famine declaration, there's going to be a lot of money sent. And I mean, there is money being sent already in terms of foreign aid. Uh, is it enough? I don't know. That's a complicated question because it doesn't reach everyone, obviously. Um I think there's bigger questions to be asked as to how we can help people in the longer term. I know that Somalia, their government is talking about how to build resilience now to climate change. Um, Like now they're saying if for every degree Celsius that the Earth's temperature rises, there's going to be one billion people displaced. And so if you think about that and where those people are supposed to go and the borders, you know, the fact that all the borders to the rich world are basically constantly being fortified Mm. um a lot of somalis don't have free travel they can't get on a plane and move you know they can't get visas so one thing that i think is interesting right now and that made me think quite differently is that i know that right now there is a lot more somalis arriving in ireland than um i believe had been before Mm. and when i was in somalia i really saw a lot of uh somalis like the somalis in the town for example were doing uh whip arounds you know they were all contributing a bit of money to be able to pay for food to be able to give the displaced people and they'd go out and share that among them or i went to a local shop and the man there the owner had been collecting money sent from diaspora Mm. to try and gather that all together buy a lot of goods and then distribute those to people who were hungry and they were even sending some of those into al-shabaab controlled areas where they knew that there were people who couldn't access aid and um a lot of somalis were helping each other and it made me think a lot about you know the role of Somalis who reach Europe, the fact that then they send money back and they send that money directly to the people who are in need. And that's also kind of a form of foreign aid, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Allowing migration, letting people enter your country and then they get a job, they send money back that goes directly to people. You don't have the overheads of those international aid agencies, you know, which can be quite significant. I mean, also, you mentioned the number of Somalis coming to countries like Ireland increasing as a result of this drought. Isn't that just an indicator of what we're facing into in the years ahead when it comes to climate related migration? That migration from countries like Somalia that are directly affected by drought and famine, they're going to travel north. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the Somalis who have arrived in Ireland recently are coming because of the most recent drought, but I've actually reported in the Dab refugee camp, which is in Kenya. It's on the Somali border. And that's where you'll get a lot of people, both who have fled conflict, but have also fled 
previous droughts like so the the last famine or droughts even before that and what will happen is they'll cross the border into Kenya they'll live in the Dab camp maybe for a decade maybe for two decades you know some people have their children there and they get they grow up there and uh, some of them will then try and find a way to get to Europe. So it won't necessarily be that the people who are affected by the drought now, I mean, the ones who have everything has been taken from them, they don't have the money to make that type of journey. But it might be that they're the ones, you know, they'll do small migration. So they'll migrate to the town that might have an international aid agency in it. But then somebody else in that town might actually make a bigger journey to try and get to Europe or even to try and get to a neighboring country. And so it's all kind of incremental. And now we've had a call from the Somali government for the diaspora to start sending money back to help with the drought. So, you know, remittances also play a massive role in this. And if you let in people from countries that are being affected by climate change, they will send money back that can help their families and their communities. And yeah, maybe that's also a, you know, quite an effective form of foreign aid. Sally Hayden, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much as well. That's all for today. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan and Declan Conlon. In the News will be back on Wednesday.